Thank you, ladies and Wes. That was beautiful. A couple things to remember as we move on about the season and about the week. Don't forget about uh, next Sunday, Easter Sunday. We does not give us a second chance. Jesus, accepting Christ, is not a second chance at life. Now, that might be a strange thing to hear. In fact, it may be today that you told your friend, hey, you got to hear about the gospel message because Jesus gives you a second chance. Jesus gives you a second chance to live. He gives you a second chance to make, uh, you know, to, to resolve and figure out and, and change mistakes. Jesus gives you a second chance. Jesus is not a second chance. There is no second chance. Bear with me till the end. Today, many, many years ago, Jesus entered Jerusalem riding on a donkey. And people began to cheer his name. Luke chapter 19 tells us this. As he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it. And he said, if you, even you. See, that's what Jesus says when he's, when he's addressing me. <laughs> he says, even you, man. I mean, the rest of these folks, they get it. But, but I'm going to be patient with you. If you, even you had only known on this day, listen closely now, what would bring you peace. If you only knew what would bring you peace, but now is hidden from your eyes. Jesus entered, and people were cheering, but Jesus, we see, was crying. They thought to themselves, here is Israel's second chance. The problem was, most of them, or many of them, were looking at the wrong second chance. You see, they thought Jesus would enter and, 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 and would, would defeat through might. That it would be some mighty physical conquest. They thought perhaps that the nation of Israel would be elevated to a powerful status again, much like it was during the time of Solomon. But if they looked a little harder... They may have seen that this second chance was not about everything else around them. It wasn't about the Romans, and it wasn't about uh, uh, it wasn't about the the city of Jerusalem. In fact, this second chance wasn't about the person next to them. In fact, this second chance wasn't even about themselves. It was about Jesus. You see, that's what Jesus does. It's always about Jesus. Jesus is in the, the business of making the unforgivable forgivable. And if they looked very hard, which is what I want you and I to do today, they might even realize that this second chance was, in fact, no second chance at all. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for Lily. We thank you for Nala singing her songs. We thank you for uh, 
the kids that were here today. Just this incredible beauty. These amazing creations. We thank you that you created them by name because you love them, that you want them. And Father, we thank you that you create every person in this room by name. That you know that you are forming a masterpiece and that we might recognize and understand how beautiful your creation is and how beautiful Jesus Christ is. Father, we ask that what we do and what we say honors you today, that we are true and accurate to your word. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to be going through a number of different verses today and passages today as we sum up the fall of Saul. And so these are going to be on your screen. We're going to start in chapter uh, 23 of 1 Samuel, but we're going to go clear through the end. So uh, you might have a hard time keeping up with that. Don't worry, they'll be on your screen. And as we've been looking at the fall of Saul, we find that there was a man who, for the most part, was humble. For the most part, was, in fact, a little, a little putting off the kingship of Israel. But once he became the king of Israel, he got consumed. He got consumed by pride. And because he got consumed by pride, he got consumed by disobedience. And then he got consumed by anger and rage and fear and hatred, all leading to murder. Murdering, in fact, the priests of God. That's the fall of Saul. Starts out as a pretty humble, pretty nice farm kid. That's who he was. And ends up destroying himself and those around him. Today we look at the conclusion at the fall of Saul. And as I reflect upon my life, it is amazing how many chances we get. Second chances we get. We call them second chances, but there's a million second chances that we get. If you think about it, every day is a second chance, isn't it? Every time you open your eyes, it's a second chance. Every time you interact with others, it's a second chance. Perhaps it's the patience and restraint by God. Maybe it's the patience and restraint and the grace given by others. Time after time, we're given a chance to repent. God gives us time after time to see the truth of who Jesus is through the fog and through, frankly, the noise. It is a noisy world. It's a noisy world with everything we're exposed to. Remember, God speaks in a whisper. He doesn't shout. Otherwise, it would just blend in with everything else. He gives us a chance to see through the fog, through the pride, through the anger, and through the hatred. Sometimes we listen when Jesus talks. Sometimes we don't. Sometimes we see. Sometimes we don't. Sometimes we even respond. And and there's been a lot of of soul-searching, I think, throughout this series. As we see this pride overtake Saul and how it just fills up, fills him up with anger and hatred. Sometimes we hear something and we respond to it, but if it's, if it's not conviction of the heart, and I mean church, I mean a deep down cut. I like to compare it to seed thrown on shallow soil. The plant springs up beautifully or the repentance springs up beautifully in a moment. But when hardship arises or when something else irks the pride, that plant withers. 
Monday morning is a whole different story than Sunday morning, isn't it? Sunday morning, you look around. Everybody's worshiping Jesus. Monday morning, you look around. Nobody's worshiping Jesus. It's a big difference. That's why this conviction of the mind, conviction, conviction of the heart, needs to be a deep down cut. You've got to review your life, examine your life, your priorities in life, what's important and what is not. Jesus is important. You see, here's the problem. When it comes to the character of Christ, we are too often looking for imitation rather than transformation. Imitation rather than transformation. I'm guilty of this. Don't sit there and tell me you're not guilty of this. I've looked for imitation. In fact, I've looked for imitation of the character of Christ and looked at myself in the mirror and thought, you're doing all right. You're doing pretty good. But that imitation's about that deep. Transformation consumes the life, the mind, the heart. We want transformation. Paul writes this in Romans 12. Do not conform to the pattern of this world. What's the pattern of this world? Anger, pride, hatred. Don't conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. If we could but see the patience of God that He has in our lives, then we would have that same patience and that same humility in the lives of others. We would allow, if we could allow ourselves to see, we would be filled with love and hope and meaning and purpose. Last week, as we're looking through the life of Saul, Saul got to this place where he killed the priests of God, killed the priests at Nob while hunting David. This isn't a story about David, okay? Just just to warn you, everybody wants to talk about David, and I don't blame you. He's a good guy, but we're not going to talk about David much, okay? This is about Saul. We'll, We'll mention David here, though, today. Saul is trying to keep a hold on his reign and his power and his pride and his life and what he wants, trying to control instead of allowing God to control no matter what it takes. Even though God has already told him, he rejected him as king and he's given the kingdom to someone else. But Saul didn't stop there at killing the priests of Nod. Now he's following and hunting David, the Lord's anointed, frankly, for a rather long campaign. And he has a kingdom to run. I mean, his pride is taking him out of the kingdom. His rage, his anger is taking him away from the responsibilities that he has in life. That's what happens when we're consumed by this stuff. I don't care about other stuff. I care about assuaging this pride and anger and rage and hatred. It's consumed him. 1 Samuel 23, 14, David stayed in the wilderness strongholds and in the hills of the desert of Ziph. Day after day, day after day, Saul searched for him. That's all he did. But God did not give David into his hands. After the Ziphites gave David away, gave away his position, Saul sets out in pursuit. David and his men at one point are on one side of a mountain, and Saul and his men are on another side of a mountain, going around the mountain, trying to capture David. But before Saul could catch David, a messenger comes to Saul saying, hey, look, the Philistines are invading again. And Saul has to go off to fight him. When Saul is done with this latest battle, he returns to hunting David in the desert of the the En Gedi. Saul stops into a cave, and you've probably heard this story before. He stops into a cave, used a restroom to relieve himself. Little did he know that he was on the edge of death. And why? 
David and his men were hiding in the back of that very same cave that Saul walks into. He, he could choose any cave. He could choose any tree for what he's doing. And David and his men are there. 1 Samuel 23, 3-4, he came to the sheep pens along the way. Cave was there. Saul went in to relieve himself. David and his men were in the back of the cave. And the men said to David, This is the day the Lord spoke of when he said to you, I will give your enemy into your hands for you to deal with as you wish. Then David crept up unnoticed and cut off a corner of Saul's robe, and Saul never even knew it. I don't know if you've accepted Christ or not, but I wonder how close we are to death. We think we're fine, don't we? We think it's a regular day. Saul had no idea that that was his moment. I wonder how close we are to death every day. By the way, have you noticed what's happening here? These are two powerhouses when it comes to military ability. Okay? David creeps up behind Saul and cuts his robe. And yet with even all that ability, Saul still manages to find David throughout the country. This is an unstoppable force meeting an immovable object. These two are fantastic when it comes to their military prowess. I'd hate to be in the middle of it. God is. I wonder how many times God's Spirit works in our lives, giving us chance after chance, blessing after blessing, grace after grace, trying to open our eyes. When David did this, his conscience struck him, told him this was wrong. And why? This was taunting. That's what he was doing. He was just taunting. He was taunting Saul. Later on, he does something very similar, but it's for a different reason. This was taunting. And so David runs out to the edge of the cave as Saul is leaving and yells to him. He says, look, I've I've taken a corner of your robe, but I have not struck you down. David steps out and reveals this second chance, second chance that Saul has. First Samuel 24, then David went out of the cave and called out to Saul, my Lord, the king. When Saul looked behind him, David bowed down, prostrated himself with his face to the ground. He said to Saul, why do you listen when men say David's been on hurting you? This day, look, you've seen with your own eyes that God delivered you into my hands and I didn't kill you. Some urged me to kill you, but I spared you. I said, I'm not going to lay a hand on the Lord's anointed. Notice the difference in the character between David and Saul. He even uses this term of reverence, see my father. He was his father-in-law, but this very revered term, see my father, look at this piece of robe in my hand. And then Saul responds, much like we respond after a second chance. Much like we respond when, we're, when our hearts are in the mix. When David finished saying this, 1 Samuel 24, Saul asked, Is that your voice, David, my son? And he wept aloud. You are more righteous than I. You've treated me well, but I have treated you badly. You have just now told me about the good you did to me. The Lord delivered me into your hands, but you didn't kill me. Was this genuine? Sure seems like it. Sure sounds like it. The things he's saying, the things he's doing, it sounds like he's been cut to the heart because he was revealed the power of God. 
Is it repentance or is it just a pause in the anger? See, that's what we've got to ask ourselves. With imitation, we just have a pause in the anger sometimes. We don't have a change in direction. That's what repentance is, a change in direction. We don't have a transformation. We hear the words, we read the story, and it's all on an emotional level. That's what this was driven by, purely a surface emotion, not a transformation, not a genuine desire to change his character. It was based purely upon his current circumstances. Remember, this seed that falls on shallow soil. Do we change? Are we confronted? We've been confronted, church, with the character study of Saul. We have been confronted with the downfall of Saul due to pride and disobedience and anger and hatred. Do we want to be transformed? Or do we merely work on an emotion? Is it repentance or is it just a pause? We know that this is just a pause in Saul's life. Because he goes back to hunting David again. Goes back out to the desert of Ziph and hunts David. There's too much pride in his life. There's too much fear because of it. You know that, right? That's, that's where fear comes from. If you're scared, stop wondering. We've been talking about this for four, five, six, ten weeks. I don't know how long we've been doing this. Feels like forever, right? You got to sit in your spot. Fear comes from pride. No pride, no fear. Fear comes from pride. Saul goes out and hunts David again. 1 Samuel 26, then David, he notices Saul's after him. David set out and went to the place where Saul had camped. He saw where Saul and Abner, son of Ner, the commander of the army, had laid down. Saul was lying inside the camp, and the army was encamped around him. David takes one of his men to that very place in the middle of the army where Saul is sleeping. So David took Abishai and went to the army by night. There was Saul lying asleep inside the camp with a spear stuck in the ground near his head. Abner and his soldiers were lying all around him. David is creeping now into the middle of the enemy camp. Once again, Abishai said to David, Today God has delivered your enemy into your hands. Let me pin him to the ground. I'm not going to have to do this twice. David said, Don't destroy him. Who can lay a hand on the Lord's anointed and be guiltless? As surely as the Lord lives. Listen to this. As surely as the Lord lives. I don't care. Think of this person in your life that's just rubbing you the wrong way. It's your pride. Think of the situation. Think of the job. Think of this. Think of the bad things that that rub against our pride. Look what David says of Saul. As surely as the Lord lives, he said, the Lord himself will strike him or his time will come and he'll die. Or he'll go into battle and he'll perish. But the Lord forbid that I should lay a hand on him. Well, we don't even confront life that way. Don't worry. God's got this well in hand, says David. I don't have to, I don't have to work at this. I don't have to take it upon myself. David, he, he's confident. He knows who he is. He said the Lord's going to take care of this. So David took the spear in the water jug near Saul's head and they left. Yet another second chance. And Saul responds the same way. Saul wakes up, chapter 26, verse uh, 21. I have sinned, as he's yelling out to David, come back, my son, because you considered my life precious today. I will not try to harm you again. How many times, 
How many times are we just going to go through the motions? This isn't sincere. Once again, he thinks this message or this Bible lesson or this teacher or this moment in my life has cut me to the heart and it hasn't. It's just working on the emotion. But David's no fool. Chapter 27, he says this. David thought to himself, one of these days I'm going to be destroyed by the hand of Saul. Best thing I can do is escape to the land of Philistines. And that's exactly what he does. He escapes to his enemy. Saul stops looking for him. And Saul's got bigger problems. The Philistines gather to fight one more decisive battle against Israel. And Saul is afraid. We've been looking at Saul throughout the past month or so. And what we notice about Saul is in the face of of the enemy on the battlefield, Saul is never afraid. There's a lot of things that Saul is afraid of, mainly David because of his pride. But when it comes to the enemy on the battlefield, Saul's never afraid. In fact, he's really good at what he does. Now he sees the enemy and he's afraid. Chapter 28, 5 and 6, when Saul's When Saul saw the Philistine army, he was afraid. Terror filled his heart. He inquired of the Lord, but the Lord did not answer him by dreams or Urim or prophets. Very unlike Saul. At first, he was afraid of David. Look at this. Now, he is afraid of everything. That's what pride does. That's what disobedience does. Church, that's what hatred does. It makes us afraid of everything. And why was he afraid? Because he is alone. Thanks to his pride, his anger, and his hatred, he's alone. Samuel's dead. You can read about that in the third verse of this chapter. David, his mighty general, is gone, and God answers him no longer. And so he seeks advice from a medium, from a a witch doctor. You know, we see this too often, don't we? We find ourselves alone because of our pride, our hatred, our anger, because we refuse to submit. We hate humility. And what do we do? We point our finger at God and say, you have left. And then we turn to this philosophy or that philosophy or this worldview or that new book or whatever it might be. What are we looking for? We're looking for peace. What does Jesus say as he rides into Jerusalem? If you only knew what would bring you peace. If Saul only knew what would bring him peace after all of this. We say, I'll go here and there. What we need to do is turn around. That's repentance. Saul goes into battle completely unprepared. Verse 30, or chapter 31, we're getting to the end of this. Now the Philistines fought against Israel. The Israel fled before them, and many fell dead on Mount Gilboa. This is where we started our series. The Philistines were in hot pursuit of Saul and his sons. They killed his sons, Jonathan, Abinadab, and Malkishua. The fighting grew fierce around Saul, and when the archers overtook him, they wounded him critically. Saul said to his armor bearer, draw your sword and run me through, or these uncircumcised fellows will come and run me through and abuse me. But his armor bearer was terrified and wouldn't do it. So Saul took his own sword. This is about the first and only time Saul ever takes his sword himself to do the murdering. Saul took his own sword and fell on it. When the armor bearer saw that Saul was dead, he too fell on his sword and died with him. So Saul and his three sons and the armor bearer and all of his men died together that same day. 
That was the physical death of Saul. We learned last week, Saul already killed himself spiritually. He rejected everything that God is, everything that God was. Saul kills himself without hope, without love, without joy. Saul kills himself without purpose and certainly without a tomorrow. Is this the cause of all suicides? Of course not. I I don't believe that for a second. But Saul sees the enemy closing in around him. I wonder if one more chance would have been given. I wonder if he would have listened then. I wonder if he would have repented. Or maybe he would have given up like so many others have done and said, I'm too far gone. The question is, as you look back upon this series, is do we see parts of ourselves in Saul? And by the way, this is not a trick question. I hope the answer is no. But I think if we're going to be honest about this, realistic about it, we have to say, yes, there are many parts in Saul's life that are in mine, receiving chance after chance. What about you? Do you receive a second chance? I submit that no, you don't. You don't get a second chance. Some have referred to Jesus and the gospel message as the great second chance. Our minds, our hearts, our lives get twisted, they get beat down, they get run down, and we look and we crawl and we reach out for Jesus Christ. We get wounded in battle and we come, across, come to the cross again and again. And too long, church, have we been taught that Jesus is a second chance. We tell ourselves He's a second chance. I tell you, giving your life to Jesus is not a second chance. You want to know why? Chance means this, the possibility of something happening. The occurrence and development of events without an obvious design. Something happening by accident or to do something in spite of uncertain outcomes. Church, giving your life to Jesus is not a second chance. Giving your life to Jesus is your first and only guarantee. There is no such thing as Jesus being a chance. You don't get a second chance. You get a guarantee. A guarantee of life. A guarantee of love. A guarantee of purpose, of meaning, of value. You don't get a guarantee of ease, all right? So just get that out of your head. You don't get a guarantee of comfort. We do live in the real world. You get a guarantee of forgiveness. You get a guarantee of direction. You get a guarantee of the Word of God at work in your lives if you will allow it. Jesus does not give second chances. He gives a guarantee. I don't know where your fear lies or if there is fear. I don't know where your pride lies or where there is pride. But I want us to identify that today. We're kind of playing this whole Sunday at this point by ear. Um, I'm going to hold off on this closing song, okay? We're not going to do a closing song today. Here's what I want you to do. We're going to end in prayer. 
I want you to pray. I don't, I don't, I don't want you to pray to, to me or to yourself or anything like that. I want you to talk to God for a moment. We could do this in a group like this. See, I have to believe the way God works, the way he works outside of the time in which we experience. I think that when you pray to God, he is not listening to your prayers along with 20 million others. I think he's listening to yours, and that's it. I want you to, I want you to examine yourself. Go ahead, go ahead. Just, just close your eyes for a second. I want you to examine your life. I want you to examine your, your pride. But more than that, I want you to ask the question, what makes me scared? What makes me scared? Ask God about it. Talk to him. God, what makes me scared? Why am I so scared? What makes me angry? What makes me angry? Is it a person, place, thing? I want you to think about Jesus making you by name, creating you as his pinnacle creation. By the way, Jesus doesn't make mistakes. He made you. He loves you. He doesn't want you to be a prisoner to fear or pride or anger. He wants you to be free. He wants you to give your life over to who he is and what he is that he may define your life. I want you to take whatever it is that you're afraid of. Because I'll tell you what, that doesn't define who you are. Take what you're afraid of. Take this moment, this time, this second, right now. Just say, hey, Jesus, this one's yours. It's not mine anymore. I'm not going to worry about this anymore. I'm not going to care about this anymore. I'm going to define myself the way the God of creation defines me, and that is your child. See, we don't want pride. We don't want fear. We don't want rage in our lives. And acknowledge before your father right now, just acknowledge that there's going to be a lot of people that don't understand this. Monday is a whole lot different than Sunday. So ask him for strength, for focus. Ask him that when you wake up tomorrow, you will be reminded that you are his wonderful creation. And there ain't anybody that can take that away from you. Father, we are your sons and daughters. And we live in a world that is consumed by self, consumed by anger, consumed by fear. Father, we don't want to be that. We want to be what you made us to be, what you created us to be and intended us to be. We want to be defined as a servant, to be defined as great in the kingdom of God, not the kingdom of man. Father, we ask that you would give us patience, that you would give us forgiveness, that we might forgive others, that we will know that we don't have to be scared or afraid because we are defined by who and what you are. 
thank you, Father, for the love that you have given us. Amen. You're dismissed. <laughs>